When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Welcome to the Times Opinion Podcast. My name is Tim Montgomery, and this week I'm joined by three columnists, Rachel Sylvester, Matthew Paris, and Roger Boyce. These are our topics for this week. Politicians ought to like the country they want to lead, but the Corbynistas seem to disapprove of modern Britain. They're roundheads in a cavalier age, collectivists in an era dominated by individualism. There's a sense of moral superiority on the left that is as off-putting as the born-to-rule attitude on the right. Labour moderates must take back the moral high ground in their party. There's nothing wrong with wanting to win. There was something infantile about the apparent switch of public, or at least media, opinion after the publication of that photograph of a drowned Syrian toddler, as if we didn't know already that children were being drowned. My guess, though, is that public sympathy and generosity remains rather thin in Britain. People do understand the argument that European hospitality risks drawing in new waves of migrants. Still, the sentiment that photo stirred did give the Prime Minister the cover necessary to adjust his position on asylum seekers. Germany says it will take up to 800,000 refugees this year. That's shamed other European countries, Britain included, into opening their doors a little wider. But what are Germany's motives? A desire to do good, perhaps, to pay back historical debts? Or is Angela Merkel actually using the crisis to push for a different kind of Europe? Merkel believes policy can be rational, national, and still work for the greater good. Maybe she's right. Well, we'll come on to those topics of international flavour in a moment. But, uh, Rachel Sylvester, let's uh, start with you. Now, we are recording this podcast on Tuesday. Uh, a few people might be listening to us after the Labour leadership result is uh, declared. But I um, haven't uh, heard you say categorically what your view is on will he win? Jeremy Corbyn, is he going to win this Labour leadership? Well, that's the general assumption now in the Labour Party. Everyone may be completely wrong, but there the... PLP, the Parliamentary Labour Party, met for the first time on Monday evening and the basic view was that he would win and there was a sense of sort of both sort of slight bemusement, bafflement but also anger at the way in which this leadership contest had turned out. Obviously this was 
a candidate who was not originally on even on the ballot paper, who got sort of put on by some MPs who thought it would be a good idea to have a debate. And now it looks like the parties are sort of heading for a kind of absolutely suicidal decision. Um, so I don't know. The polls have been wrong before, as we all know. It's dangerous to make predictions. But that is the working assumption in the Labour Party. And in your column on Tuesday, the subject you've chosen for us today in, in the podcast, you're quite harsh on Jeremy Corbyn, actually. You, you, you argue really that he doesn't really like Britain as it is today. I remember this was a criticism you referred to this in, um, in, your, in your column. The Conservatives in the past, you know, they were criticised for not liking Britain as it is today, somehow uncomfortable with uh, its metropolitan character, the place of women and minorities in society. And I think David Cameron helped the Conservative Party get over that. You see something similar in a Corbyn-led Labour Party. Yes, David Willits used to talk about sort of bring-backery in the Tory party, you know, bring back grammar schools, bring back hanging. And there's something similar with Jeremy Corbyn and the Corbynistas. There's a kind of bring back coal mines, bring back nationalisation. It's a kind of romantic nostalgia for the left um, that is, is actually not dissimilar to UKIP. It's a kind of slightly yeah. rose-tinted view of mm. the past. You know, and the foreign policy is all... U- UKIP voters like Jeremy Corbyn more than any other well, yes, of the Labour exactly. leaders. There is something. But, you know, on foreign policy, it's sort of anti-NATO, yeah. anti-American, anti-nuclear. It's sort of a throwback um, to the past. But what I think is interesting is, uh, so it's not modern. It doesn't sort of seem to appeal to modern Britain. Although, in Interestingly, lots and lots of young people have signed up to the Corbyn campaign. But that's almost, I don't know, it feels to me like he is not in touch with the sort of people down at Waitrose or, you know, Westfield or whatever. He's, it's a sort of anti-consumerist. It's more, it's sort of disapproving of a lot of the attitudes of, of voters. Uh, aren't people entitled to dislike the way their country is going? Of course, but I think it just means it's incredibly unlikely that he'd ever get elected. So the Labour Party is kind of choosing somebody who I think it knows won't ever be Prime Minister. And it's a sort of moment of self-indulgence. And, and there's an attitude now among some that actually the purity of the sort of ideology matters more than getting into power. And that's the battle that the kind of modernisers in the Labour Party yeah. thought they'd won. And now it, they have sort of can't quite believe that it's happening again. Do you think they decided, again. though, that Andy Burnham, Liz Kendall, uh, Yvette Cooper weren't going to take Labour to power either? So they might as well have a period of self-indulgence. They might have, if they, well, were, it, if they it, were going it, to be in opposition, choose someone that they would enjoy the ride with. Well, it's purification rather than self-indulgence, isn't it? I mean, isn't it a kind of, you know, taking the pills and clearing your bowels kind of moment? I want that image mm. out of my head now. <laughs> it may be a response to, mm. to many years in which the op- opposite problem seemed to apply, that Labour didn't appear to believe in anything except just mm. trying to get into power one way or the other. And Jeremy Corbyn is believes perhaps in too much. A, a rather astringent uh, a d- dash of... Um, of uh, astringency. <laughs> <laughs> How much, uh, Matthew Paris, do you blame the Blairites for this completely for this moment because completely. the um, Jenny Russell wrote I thought a very good column in the paper last week in which she kind of blamed the the way they'd run the Labour Party they'd lobotomize the backbenchers they'd try to control of course yeah. the, the Iraq war legacy the fact is it's our way or there's no other way do you think this Je- is a big reaction yeah to that? Jenny's right uh, uh, Jeremy Corbyn is the consequence of of Tony Blair uh, it, it, is, it isn't enough just to say what works and what we want is is power. You you have to have 
some guiding principles, some guiding beliefs. Tony Blair did, but they weren't Labour's, mm. and they never would be Labour's. Uh, Labour's got to find something different. We're still some way then from that moment, Rachel Sylvester, when the Labour Party comes to love Peter Mandelson. That was supposed to be the, the <laughs> great... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> still never further away from that. Maybe Len McCluskey now. But I think, I mean, it's, it's all very well to say it's a reaction, and there is something in that. But there's also been quite cleverly organised kind of political organisation and campaign by the hard left to make sure that this election went the way they wanted. So the Unite Union has been, you know, engineering the making sure that the right people have signed up to vote. They've over the recent years, they've um, influenced the candidate selections to make sure that the MPs were more of their view than previously. Mm. So it's not just a kind of, you know, touchy-feely reaction. It's been quite a hard-nosed organisation to get to this point. Um, And then you do think, actually, those the people are now registered supporters. They may well transfer into members. It's hard to see how the party then goes back to becoming a sort of more centrist, more election-winning Mm. My, my own view is, you know, a lot of people think that they'll get Jeremy Corbyn out of the system, and then they go back to some sort of Blairite reasonable figure. I wonder actually whether the more likely successor is a kind of a Nicola Sturgeon type figure, still someone of of the left, but perhaps more presentable than Lisa Nandy than, is the person talked maybe, about. Maybe who, who um, knows? But yeah, no, exactly. I think the ideological path is now set, mm. and the thing it's rather like the SNP actually. The thing that I find difficult about that wing of the party is it's all it's kind of it's almost a moralistic superiority so it's not just that if you disagree with them you're wrong you're actually wicked it's somehow it's almost like a religion or a cult yeah but that's how Um, people have been treating the left for a a very long time that if you're on the left you're you're you haven't just made an ideological mistake you're probably a soviet sympathizer or a a secret subversive uh it seems to me that J- Jeremy Corbyn and the, the, the Corbynistas have every right to their opinion, and if they can capture a party by legitimate means, which they seem to be doing, good good luck to them. We shall see what happens. But not but, necessarily uh, good for the party. I mean, if just as if UKIP had captured the Tory party, I oh, think party you would not have been... Anyway. I think that I think the sudden interest in Jeremy Corbyn stems from an unconscious feeling in the Labour Party that they were on a hiding to nothing and nowhere already. And we, we are clear, Matthew, it's Corbynistas, not Corbynites. I, mean, we just, I just clear. like Corbynistas because it sounds kind of Cuban, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Corbynismo, you know, as, as a doctrine, yeah. And, 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 and Roger, has the world noticed this very much? Is, uh, are are yeah. people looking and thinking, what has happened to the British Labour Party? Or, or, or what has happened to Britain? Or at the moment, is, is no one really plugged into this? Well, Israel's noticed, obviously, and is, is uh, you know, a bit shocked uh, that there should be someone who's, um, if not identified with Hamas, certainly not distanced himself in the way that would be appropriate. Um, otherwise, I don't know. I think I think probably a lot of Central and South American uh, countries are dancing with joy. You know, there is a there is something South American about him more even than nineteen eighties Britain. Um, um, I mean, those kind of leaders arise uh, also out of a sense of opposition to uh, American influence, um, out of, you know, opposition to multinationals. Uh, but they also they end up as deeply corrupt, um, corrupt government and probably 
something would go terribly awry when uh, Corbyn, if and when Corbyn takes over. It's, you know, it's all very well being moral um, in, in, uh, in, in your foreign policy, uh, but then you've got to have, you know, that morality has got to be intact and uh, you've got to be able to follow through. Um, there are also a lot of shady characters around too, which um, I think even, you know, I think the Nicaraguans must remember when he went there with Bernie Grant and, and you know, you know there's, he's gone, he's, he's, he's performed in so many different international stages and made a bit of a fool of himself a- across much of the world mostly, thankfully, forgotten by the is rest it, of the world. Is this Rachel Sylvester where he will have most potential trouble with his party? It will be the NATO, the EU, the foreign policy stances. Yeah, this is where it's, he's, how, he's so outside yes, of the mainstream. How do those sort of historic pronouncements... He sort of tried to distance himself from some of the things he's said or some of the people he's been associated with, but that's going to be hung around his neck at every opportunity. So he's he's been very unclear, actually, on what his position is right now on NATO or the EU, all these things. But the sort of suspicion is that, actually, his real views of what he said in the past, before the spotlight was on him, and now he's kind of fudging to try and hold the party together. Basically, But I, I, certainly, the, I don't think many of, many of the people who who were in Ed Miliband's shadow cabinet would find it very difficult to serve with in a shadow cabinet led by Jeremy Corbyn with with those views. But this discussion is a little bit like us having a discussion about there's a proposal to bring a grizzly bear home and introduce <laughs> it into the family and someone will say, oh, what about the sofa? Might he not claw the sofa? Or what about the living room and do bears use the loo and all that kind of thing? I mean, it's, it's just unimaginable uh, that, uh, that, that Jeremy Corbyn should lead the opposition and he's going to lead the opposition. Can I, just before we, we, we move on, because we must move on, um, but Matthew, you wrote a column you know, a few weeks ago in which you said this will have profound implications for the Conservative Party as well, potentially realign the Conservative Party um, in some way. A columnist we, both of us, probably all of us, like a lot in Janan Ganesh in the mm. FT, said, not a bit of it. This is absolutely unmitigated good for the Conservative Party. This man is completely unelectable. He is the idea of inviting the bear you know, into your home. He will have only a good impact on the Conservative Party, its electoral f- fortunes and its in its view of itself. Do you... Uh, moving at all away from that early position? No, no, or absolutely you, not, no. I, you look you look at the rebellion of Tory MPs on Monday night on Europe and think more and more of this will be encouraged by... Yes, the, I don't know whether that, that, that rebellion on Monday night would have been less serious if it, there hadn't been a feeling now in the Conservative Party that they are virtually unassailable mm-hmm. for the next three or four years. But I, I think a feeling of unassailability in any political party, will always, in the end, lead to a breakdown of discipline Mm. within that political party because discipline is applied within a political party by constantly reminding people what would happen if the other side win. Mm. Mm. And and James Forsyth in The Spectator, he said that when Mrs Thatcher had a divided, useless opposition in the 80s, she saw this was her opportunity to change the way Britain was governed and move in a sort of much more radical direction. And his prediction, uh, Rachel Sylvester, was that David Cameron would see it as a political opportunity, wouldn't go in a sort of a Thatcherite direction, but would hoover up all the votes in the in well, the centre can, ground and become yeah. the natural party of government again. You, can you see would agree with that? Moving yeah. in that direction with the minimum wage announcement that George Osborne made, they're trying to sort of position themselves as the sensible centrist party, and yeah. the more 
Labour and the Lib Dems vacate that territory, you know, the easier it is. I think they don't need to become more ideological and more right wing. But I agree with Matthew that discipline within the party becomes a problem. I, I don't disagree with with that analysis. Mm. But as the party moves, as I think it will. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Into a much more central position, it sooner or later will lose the right. Mm. They'll go somewhere else. Yeah. And of course, the European referendum will be... A rallying point for that. Matthew, let, let's move on to your, your topic. You, you wrote a column in Saturday's paper, and I should say to all Times subscribers listening, if you go to thetimes.co.uk slash comment central, I'll link to Matthew's piece, Rachel's piece, Jenny's piece, pieces that we've been discussing today. But in, in, in Saturday's paper, in your subject for us today, you think that although we had this massive, well, perhaps you don't think it's massive, but we had this sort of massive media moment at the very least last week about the the photographs of, of the drowned uh, young toddler you think actually sentiment in britain might be quite thin and any real resolve or interest in doing very much about this refugee crisis could quickly pass i do think that and and the polls seem to suggest as much there certainly was a huge wave of public sympathy and an even huger wage of wave of media sympathy but i think these things are quite thin and this is the one of the things about the 24-hour news cycle and about the social media that the waves do go in great surges but they can very quickly surge the other way and the underlying openness of the British people to accept very large numbers either of refugees or of economic migrants I think remains very thin in, indeed. Uh, it, it's been a... I don't want to sound cynical but it's a cynical oh, point I have go to on, make. Go uh, on. <laughs> I, 
I, I think it's been very good politically for, for, for David Cameron. He was aware that, he, especially on the European stage, he was beginning to look a bit nasty mm-hmm. about immigration. And this has allowed him to correct that balance in a not very expensive way. Anyway, it looks like it's all coming out of the international aid uh, budget and persuade people in, in Britain that he has a heart. But with without, I think, suggesting anything that would seriously uh, upset the electorate. And I think if you suggested hundreds of thousands, you would immediately seriously upset the electorate. Good. So do you think 20,000, he announced, that Britain would take extra refugees over the course of the next four or five years, that compares to tens of thousands that Angela Merkel's Germany is yes, taking. Or, or even France are going to take more mm. than, than we are. Do you, do you think we really have redeemed ourselves on the international stage by that sort of number, or do you not really care whether we've redeemed ourselves on oh, that no. number? Uh, how we look especially in Europe and especially during these Euro- European negotiations, does does matter. And I doubt we've redeemed ourselves and the noises coming from European capitals suggest that they still don't think we're doing enough. But he has slightly adjusted his position and people will have noticed. Roger Boys, 20,000 refugees over four or five years, the right response to the to the crisis? Or should we be doing something bolder of the kind that Andrew Mitchell has proposed and having enclaves in the region? Well, I mean, Andrew Mitchell's idea was was a five-year vintage. Uh, you know, uh, frankly, uh, I think he was just... It was just a lot of hot air. Recycling it. Um, yeah, he's recycling something that we talked about endlessly uh, and... Uh, and this, know and know that we can't implement. Um, even uh, now, there's not. This is not a well, moment you, when an old idea could actually be. Uh, no, not really, because it would require a massive military force to uh, to implement, and and the will is not there for that. The will is not there, uh, which is why I sort of agree with uh, with Matthew and the limitations of this picture as a as a popular mobilizer. I, I think uh, as soon as you say, well. Um, God, that poor child, let's bomb them. Um, you know, that jump doesn't work. It doesn't work anymore. Um, uh, it worked in Vietnam with burning, uh, with children, Napalm children to some degree uh, because so many American soldiers were already exposed to danger. And the response was, oh, God, let's, you know, not let's help those uh, Vietnamese children, but let's get our boys back. Um, so pictures work as, as a way of withdrawing from involvement rather than getting uh, engaged, I think. Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, and w- is 20,000 enough? Well, you know, how long's a piece of string, really? I, I, I do think the government actually has, has learned. Uh, I mean, it was right, I think, to, to deal with refugees um, uh, in uh, in Jordan, Lebanese, and Turkish camps, that's to say, close to the the area, and that's where we put most of our money. And now we're right to reconsider, but and we're also right not to join a European quota. And although that sounds a bit, you know, on message, <laughs> uh, it it is about I think the whole question of where is Europe's specific responsibility for these refugees? Why is it not a global responsibility? Why is it? Why doesn't it involve America? You know. Who's notably why, why, why doesn't it particularly this? involve the, or, or the, the Arab world? The Arab states, yeah. yeah. Um, um, why, why are they so reluctant to take in refugees from, from Syria? The Arab, Arab world. Yeah. Well, actually, they do. Saudi Arabia, for, for example, gives work contracts to Syrians. Um, and I think that's actually a very practical 
a measure of sorts. But the truth is, a lot of Syrians don't want to work in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, they've uh, even under under this Bashar al-Assad, that their life was actually quite free, and and for, especially for women. Uh, uh, no one's rushing or queuing to to go and seek refuge in Saudi Arabia for that for that reason. So there are all sorts of things we should be doing and nudging and helping with. Uh, I mean, we should encourage people in the camps to to be allowed to work in Jordan, for example. Uh, you know, uh, these kind of things. We we have to slow down the movement of people. Uh, rather than accelerate them. But 20,000, yeah, it's, it could be more, it could be less. Uh, I, I, I don't think it really actually makes one iota of a difference, but I'm pleased that at least we're having a moral debate about it, and that's partly prompt by, prompted by the rhetoric of Angela Merkel and her 800,000, which I think is probably a fake figure. Um, uh, but it's also it uh, something we should be doing. After all, the people in the refugee camps have seen the welcome that people are getting in these... Uh train stations in in germany it's it's extraordinary sort yes of, uh, yes it's um uh, yes it does smack of a certain um well i wouldn't say insincerity but there, there is something uh, synthetic about it um Shiny, and perhaps, uh, to use the expression matthew used earlier thin yes yes that's right no, no. but i mean there is there is of course a groundswell as there is here of of resistance to to people coming in there and especially uh, local councils are under massive strain because they're the they're responsible for looking after asylum seekers. Has, 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 has David Cameron ridden out this storm, Rachel? Because about a week ago, it looked like he was slightly um, off balance, really. With you know, he he said, you know, we'll keep refugees under review, um, and then you know, the photo, I think, within about an hour of him saying that, came out, and suddenly this public mood was calling for. For much more to be done, has he has he done um, enough to sort of? He's it, this is an issue on which he's very neurotic. So he overreacted in the other way, I think, in the run up to the election, trying to sound incredibly tough out UKIP, UKIP, you know, all this sort of nonsensical business about a net migration target, which absolutely everybody in the government and the Tory party knows is totally impossible to meet. Perhaps with the exception of Theresa May. I think she might still be believing <laughs> well, it. Well, <laughs> maybe, but I think privately even she would... You know, it's not a realistic thing. Mm. And then and then, sort of trying to sound all com- compassionate. Uh, but I think that the picture is very interesting because it's illustrative of a, a wider point that people, the voters, have a much more nuanced view of immigration than the media and politicians and sometimes think so when um i did some work on this um earlier this year and when you look at the polling actually the people who have the most contact with migrants are much are the most positive mm. so it's a theoretical fear it's a fear of the theory of immigration but actually people with actual experience or when people see an individual person an individual child an individual photograph of a toddler an individual you know their neighbor the person who runs the corner shop they're actually much more positive and people welcoming who, who staff the hospitals and, and well exactly and, such, right? and so i think the sort of david cameron has not kind of understood the nuance of public opinion about this but he's tried to chase after public opinion rather than um realizing that people have a more complicated view just on 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 your sort of related topic roger the the status of germany in in all of this angela merkel seemed to be going through a slightly flat difficult period she was you know her handling of the greece drama was perhaps not as sure-footed as it as it might have been. She was seen to be the the villain of uh, of Europe, or Germany was seen to be particularly hard on on Greece. And now we're seeing a very 
different side to Germany, are we? Well, the she good, does. The good, uh, the good German well, Chancellor. Well, well, I mean, in Britain, we regard her, of course, as being very sage. But in fact, she does tend to flip flop. I remember after the Fukushima meltdown, for example, within ten days, she'd withdrawn uh, Germany from its commitment to nuclear power. It was it was that quick. Um, so there is that populist element. Um, was, she, was she in coalition with the SDP then, or was she on? Was she in the coalition with the uh, FDP? Yes, then? it was a social democrat, and this is what's cr- made it easier to be the good German. Uh, because if you're in a grand coalition, it means you, first of all you don't have much of an opposition, and second, you're you're with kind of leftish, you know, um, good people, you know, uh, good, w- well-wishing uh, people and, and people with international perspectives. So you can, you can do all sorts of things that you wouldn't be able to do, she wouldn't be able to do if she was in coalition with, uh, with another party. So, uh, so it's rumble. easy, you know, and it's, also Europe, and, and, and it's also to push forward a European agenda, yeah. uh, which, which she wants. She wants a common asylum policy, which, we, of course, we don't. There have been a few rumbles with their own, within her own Christian Democratic Party, haven't they, about this policy? And I don't know where is it the Pegida movement that's been running these protests. Pegida, yeah, movement. yeah. Is where, where is that? Is there a, a UKIP or nativist anger in Germany or uh, at all? Well, it's this? UKIP only in the sense it's tired white old middle-aged men, you know, um, uh, running it. The um, usual suspects. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the usual suspects. It, I, I don't think it, it's a mass. Movement. I don't think it has the potential to be a mass movement, and I, and it's not made the connection with Euroscepticism that you'd once hoped would. would the alternative would for Deutschland <laughs> is splitting, isn't it? So, yeah. uh, so uh, it's it's so there's no pressure like that, but there is a, there is deep resentment at at local mm. level. Um, uh, but the truth is that that East Germany is virtually empty. You know, you've got basically neo Nazis on benefits, um, and that's where they're all being. Going to be put the, well, that, that the, like the refugees. Cohabitation. <laughs> <laughs> well, which <laughs> is a recipe for for yeah for a just, happy for outcome. <laughs> yeah. And what about the other story that sort of has bro- broken in the last um, twenty four hours? We expected David Cameron to make a big statement on refugees in the House of Commons, which he did, but he also made this extraordinary statement about mm. this drone strike on these British uh, supporters of. I saw. Are we unnerved at all by the legality of of this? Well, I, I mean, yes, I think we should be. I, what's until now? I mean, we've taken part in American Afghan uh, drone strikes in Afghanistan, and I think even in Pakistan. Of course, a lot of this is sort of swathed in secrecy and stuff. Uh, but there was always a clear point to it, which was the decapitation of a terrorist group which we were jointly fighting um well, and which were and uh, our ability to um to combat these uh, the heads of these groups were, was at, was extremely limited so so there was a legitimacy to it a war fighting legitimacy now we have a slightly different situation um uh, not just because until now, although presumably that will change at some stage, uh, there's no parliamentary support for action in, in Syria, but uh, also because un- until we get a little bit more information uh, and justification, it looks a little bit as if we're trying to deter uh, uh, British jihadis from going out there because otherwise, you know, we might bomb you. Um, 
Um, could and work, could work the other way though. It could radicalise people. Uh, or, or know, uh, yeah, yes, and I think to, that's what will happen. Actually, that that in fact it will backfire. If if that really is the the undercurrent, and it's certainly the undercurrent of all these praising headlines that you see in the newspaper and Daily Mail and so on, um, is you know wham bam cam, you know, and all this kind and of rubbish. Types yeah, of, yeah, yeah, you deserve yeah, this. Yeah. How much do we trust um, government information on these? things. I, I, I ask it as a genuine question. It just sometimes occurs to me that perhaps they're just making it all up. Well, <laughs> well, like yeah, you're something very. Thank you, Jeremy. Yeah, well, I don't think it is feasible, but that you can make something up uh, quite. But th th there is wouldn't something... The, wouldn't the intelligence services soon rumble a politician who did that? You know, we are... Our record's not brilliant on this, isn't it? Oh, and we could give it to John yeah. Chilcott to investigate for the next oh, 25 oh, years. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think I, we, we have probably talked too long, so I think we probably, although we could go on, we should probably stop. Uh, a lot to talk about. But thank you, Roger Boys, Matthew Paris, Rachel Sylvester, very much for joining me today. And thank you to Charlie Jones, who's standing in for Dave Maguire as a producer. We will be back next week with another podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.